Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Welcome to The Inner Puzzle, a weekly podcast helping you put the pieces together to the beautiful puzzle that is your life. Featuring the stories of survivors to motivate and empower you through your own healing journey. Sharing resources and methods to help you get through life's darkest times. You can overcome your fears and heal your wounds so they aren't passed down to your loved ones. And we're here to help. I am Paola Byron, four-time Emmy Award-winning journalist, executive producer, and host of this podcast. Let's begin. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. 
Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Today's guest is Robbie Jean King. She is a single mom of two boys, a plant-based chef, a freelance writer, mental health advocate, and wellness consultant. Her goal with her clients, as she says, is to provide mental weight loss and spiritual weight gain, allowing others to be grounded and healthier, and that the relationship with food doesn't have to be as difficult as most of us pan it out to be. Robbie, thank you so much for being here with me today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited, nervous. <laughs> yeah, me too, because I know there's so much, <laughs> I know there's so much to talk about. Um, I know that uh, we didn't really want to dive into the deep stuff, but I really do feel it's it's um, the core um, experience to where everything really jump started and leading to up to where who you are today. So just talk to me a little bit about your first ever recorded experience of something very difficult. Okay. Um you know, and only a few people know this. I've, I've been very selective in who I trust with a lot of my heart and myself. Um, but I was around five years old when I was first, and I have to say first, because unfortunately it wasn't the only time, when I was first um, sexually molested by somebody who was brought into our home and who was supposedly a trusting adult. Um, and I was always really precocious, really smart. I sort of grasped things and I understood what was going on. Um, but that was probably <clears throat> around the time when I stopped kind of being a child, you know, when I was a child. And, um, you know, I started to feel like I wanted to live in shadows at a very young age. And, um, and around age seven is when I started having real live associations, uh, with wanting to not be here anymore. And I don't know if that is necessarily like I was suicidal because, you know, I was like seven. Um, but I, I really hated myself and I, and I felt ashamed and I felt dirty and I felt soiled. I felt targeted. Um, and I felt like I didn't have anybody to, to trust or to speak with, you know, and I also didn't have permission to feel free. And if you know me as now, I'm like really playful, really youthful, I sort of have Peter Pan syndrome and I often attribute that to the fact that like I really didn't my childhood and my innocence was robbed so around age five and age seven and unfortunately and this I in talking to so many people who have shared experiences often when you are a victim of childhood sexual abuse um you're a target and you wear it's like almost you have a neon sign on your head that says it's like hello like prey on me and that relationship with my sexuality um sort of, I was a target. And so I started confusing love with sex or with that, that feeling like in order for me to be worthy, I had to give a bit of myself, you know, and that, um, that definitely adulterated my adolescence and my childhood. I just never 
felt safe in my own skin. And I think you and I spoke about this off camera. You know, like looking back when I was 13, I'm looking at my yearbooks now, and I scratched out every single one of my photos, like with marker, you know, and I'm hearting all my friends and I'm writing notes. But every photo of me, and there was a lot of photos of me because I was like really outgoing and smart and in clubs and stuff that like they're all scratched out. I'm like looking back, I'm like, fuck, like if I could just hold her and hug her, you know, and it's just there's so many kids that feel that way you know they just don't want to be here um they don't want to be themselves I think that's what it is you know and even adults we're not only just talking about children especially adults where we need to sort of get to a point in our lives where we say okay what would little me want what 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 did that person what did that little person need at that time and I don't know about you but for me when I became a mom is when I really started to dive into that conversation with myself. Right. Um, it was, for me, it was after becoming a mother way after. Yeah. And it's like, mm-hmm. unfortunately it took all this time for me to sit down and look at the world through my daughter's eyes where I can be like, it's not supposed to be this hard. It's not supposed to be this hard. Well, it doesn't have to be right. So I think, I mean, I'm super fast-tracking now into my 40s, but um, I I went through an amazing, life-changing, this is going to be a plug, life-changing program with John Paul Creamy. He's a world-famous breathwork facilitator. And um, I did trauma-release breathwork with him, and I went through his training program. And one of the exercises that he has you do is actually, you know, write a letter to yourself. Write a letter to yourself as a child and write a letter to yourself now. Um, and say everything, you know, it could be like 30 pages. Mine was so long. And if you look at it, I mean, I wrote it in ink, right? And there's ink marks from my tears on the page. Um, and that's so cathartic because I feel like we go through life. And this is, I think it's a Western conditioning too. We're taught in like Western modalities of healing to sort of like, let's talk about what your parents did and let's talk about what happened to you. And it sort of keeps us in this box, right? Like, I am a victim of this. I am a victim of that. Instead of sort of saying like acceptance, okay, this happened to me. What did I learn from that? How can I change the generational trauma attached to that so that my boys, my children don't inherit it? Um, you know, and I, and I, I just wish for so many people that they could just have that moment of acceptance because like what you said, when you have that moment of acceptance, you see the world through the lens of your child or, through the lens of you as like a child, mm-hmm. it's so much easier to be like, okay, like this shit happened. Right. Let's let it go. Let's figure out what we can work with. <laughs> yeah. You let know? it go let's and figure out what we can work with. Let it go and process it, you know? Yeah. Like, At the same time. Painful. Right. And yeah. it's painful. But that's in my experience, the acceptance is the missing factor in so many Western modalities of healing. Once you accept what happened to you, it's so much easier. Like, I don't hate the person that hurt me. They're sick and they're a product of whatever happened to them, right? Do I want to hang out with that person? No. But, like, is going to get a holiday card? Probably not. But, you know, once you start to, like, let go and, like, forgive, like, my mother and my parents, it's a lot easier to breathe. And then my past, like, you shed so much mental weight. That's 
what we were talking about, you know? And then once you lose some of that weight, like other weight comes off and. Yeah. I love that. I love that. It's that whole mental weight loss and spiritual weight gain that we, that that's your motto. I love saying that. Freaking works, man. Yeah. I just wanted to, to, to dive into, you know, talking about how, now we see the world through different lenses, but what about when we're going through those difficult moments? There's a thing that we know how to do as humans, and that's to survive, and that's fight or flight. Right. And most of us, I think, are stuck in that fight or flight response. And I, um, I, I've lived most of my life in that state of being the opposite of mindfulness right it's the opposite of being present um meditation helps fun fact but um but the fight or flight response was really how i lived my entire life my entire childhood everything and i think we talked about this also off camera um and that's sort of how the introduction of food as something that wasn't serving me was entered into my life i was constantly in a state of flux in a state of fear, and I needed so desperately to control something. And this is this manifests as adults, right? Also, like we need to control things around us when so many things feel out of control. Um, spoiler alert: everything is out of our control, pretty mm-hmm. much, right? <laughs> Except how we handle ourselves. But like, yeah. but growing up, I think we talked about like I wanted to that fight or flight, like I wanted to escape, right? And so I was so fortunate to grow up in this community where all of my friends, like all, not just a few, every single one was um, the child of a recent immigrant. And so at a very early age, I was introduced to like, it was like traveling, like it was a passport. So I'd go to their houses after school and there was such a sense of community all centered around food, which seems so silly, right? But it was all centered around food. Um, And that, you know, that's when my association of healing through how you feed yourself and community and food as language began. But I, in my like ignorance and being a child, took food as a way to really control my emotions. And so at the age of eight, I became a vegetarian, which was a great choice for me because I prefer that ethically for myself. Um, but I became, that morphed quickly into hyper-controlling. So at a very young age, I started extreme restrictive eating, you know, or negatively association, um, negative associations with food. Like if I'm good today, I can eat this. I'm bad. So I won't eat now, you know, and we do that as adults too. You know, and it's, it's, it's unfortunate because relation, you know, the relationship with food, as you mentioned to me um, before, it's, it's essential to our living. Like that's the only way we can continue living. Um, we, we have to fuel our bodies and, you know, I, I unfortunately also grew up with binge eating disorder, which I basically would stuff my face until I could no longer do so to the point that I was having six cans of soda on a daily basis. Like I was showering and I needed to have like my soda, you know, by me so that I can drink soda while I was showering. It's like, it's crazy to look back at it and, and 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 at some point I'm kind of like ashamed to admit that as well out loud but I shouldn't be because at the end of the day I'm understanding that the way I release my emotions especially growing up was through food because food made me feel good made me feel 
It's um, our most intimate relationship. Right. It, it right? filled yeah. a void that I was missing. And that void could have been numerous things that were going on in my life. You know what I'm saying? So um, I definitely understand how food can also, um, you can either have too much of it or too little of it at some point. It's when just I, like, it's like yeah. drugs. It's, it's no different than it's, a, it's, you know, addiction is basically stems from how we feel about ourselves, right? And how we're coping and how we feel about ourselves always shows up on our plate, either in too much, too little, with a bunch of junk, too healthy. I mean, there are some people who, um, and I know a lot of people in my community that are so dead set on a particular vegan plant-based lifestyle that it's, <clears throat> it's almost damaging because they're so rigid that there's no flexibility and you have to be flexible. You have to be fluid. We're made out of water. We have to be fluid in this life. Yeah. And if we get um, out of that circle or that line, uh, that rigid line that you're talking about, you just feel like you're out of control or you feel yeah. that you've messed up. Oh my God, right. I've messed up. This is right. so bad, you know, and it's not the way we're supposed to see food. Um, as a dancer, you know, it's such a main factor in the industry and, a lot of my friends um, that I've I've known growing up with, um, they have struggled with some sort of eating disorder, and you know it's a conversation that's very difficult to have. But I just I love that we're having this opportunity right now to talk about it. Yeah, it's not even like the food though. When I say food, so my yeah, it's not just food that we feed our bodies to fuel. It's also this this mental food, right? Like the things that you're saying to yourself, your environment. Um, the story you're telling, that's also, that's the biggest part of our diets, in my opinion. You know, um, if you're telling yourself a bunch of junk, you're likely going to feed your body a bunch of junk. You're not going to take care of it the same way. Um, so, yeah, how did we get there? Oh, you know, talking about well, when I was a child. Yeah. Yeah, basically, you know, these these experiences that we might ex might go through and we we might not know how to assimilate to it or understand what's happening but you just need to cope with it some sort of way and food happened to be your way of being able to cope to an extent or to a low extent of what you were going through um when when you were going through that whole rigid restriction on food were there other things that were also a form of you releasing your anger or self-harming yes <laughs> yeah i became because it's not enough right and i became i always say i was addicted to self-harm and and bad decisions and i was you know i was searching for love period and i needed to give that love to myself but when you're eight like that's not my job my job was not to give love to myself when i'm eight i, I was my my job was to be taught how to love myself um, that's very so, important. I think that's, yeah. that's a very, very important, um, detail and lesson to be learned. If you were a child in a situation, you were not at fault. You were not the oh, adult man. in the situation yeah. and it wasn't up to you to know better. So I just, I wanted to make that clear, like double clear as Robbie mentioned. Yeah. It's, that's, I think that that's something that a lot of people, especially children of any form of abuse, right? Because it wasn't just sexual abuse that I endured. Um, any form of abuse, it's, um, we often carry that badge with us where we feel like it was our fault. Like we feel like it's our fault because our parents divorced or we feel like it's our fault because we were abused or hit or bullied or whatever, but it's not. Up to a certain age, you have to take account of 
responsibility. I'm a firm believer in that, you know? But when I'm eight, I have an eight-year-old. It's not, it's my job to teach him how to love himself. It's my job to teach him, like show him how one loves themselves. Um, and so, you know, but yeah, growing up, I developed my restrictive eating, which was veiled under vegetarianism, became hyper like controlled, you know, to the point where I was, I mean, it's so, it's crazy when I look back, you know, I was like logging like seven P's, you know, I would like log these things and this carried throughout college. And then I went through binging, I went through cutting, a severe cutting phase, um, which I know is really common and people don't talk about that a lot. And there's a lot of stigma against self-mutilation, but it dates back to like the 1600s, you know? Um, and, you know, and then choosing partners that 100% were going to keep me small, you know, um, and kept me attached to that abuse, that feeling of victimhood, that feeling of being unworthy. You know, I don't, I wasn't a conscious choice, but I gravitated towards circles and people that would keep me from spreading my wings and growing. Um, and that was something that I just had to go through, you know, we all sort of have to go through our journey. The calorie cutting and the calorie counting and the, um, restrictive eating, I can also attest to that oh, yeah. because after I had gained so much weight at some point, I started to be a part of the beauty pageant industry, mm. um, to gain self, you know, self-assurance and confidence because I was, you know, a little bit more of a hermit. I was very much, you know, I didn't, although I was very social on the outside. And so I looked happy in quotation marks. Um, I was, you know, I had a lack of confidence. And, um, when I was in the industry, I definitely, uh, went through a phase where I dropped 40 pounds in six months. Um, mm. and it was not healthily, yeah, not healthily. I was, okay. Uh, taking laxatives and I was uh, restrictive eating and I was taking to school. This is high school, taking to high school bowls of salad, like going around with my big bowl. Like I'm talking about like a huge container of salad. And um, I was being praised for having lost so much weight. Oh, yeah, of course you were, because that's a society. <laughs> society. They don't want to look at the root. Yeah. yeah, but, you know, definitely. um that obsession of maintaining that, um, I don't want to say appropriation, but just, um, An ideal look. Yeah. The, yeah. the ideal culture of, of saying, okay, wow, Paola looks great. Like how did she keep it? And so I wanted to keep those standards, uh, valid. And then I went into the whole working out four hours a day, having worked out in the morning on a fasted stomach, then working out another hour right after. And then at night, I would go to the gym after school and then I would do, um, I would do cardio. I would work out with weights and then I would do Zumba. Which is great. Like if the intention and the root is from a healthy, holistic, non-self-hating place, it's great, right? If weight loss comes from a root origin of like, I need to sustain life. I need to be healthier for myself and others. It's great. If your eating is regimented, but it's all stuff that's feeding and fueling sustainability and longevity, it's great. It's about the intention. If the intention is, shit, I'm not worthy unless I look a certain way, unless I do this, people only like me because I look this way, 
then it's bad. It's a bad diet, you know, even if, even if you're losing weight and all, it's a bad diet. It's not sustainable. And as, and you know that, cause like you probably, probably didn't last. Well, well, <laughs> well when I became a mom, all that weight shot up yeah. and I was like, <gasps> yeah, I freaked out with my freaking first. out. But then, but at the same time I was kind of like, wait, but my body's changing. Like, okay. Like accept that. So it was really during motherhood where I, where I really started to resolve issues that I had with, um, you know, other, other things that, that I was dealing with. Self-image, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was just like, if I have stretch marks, I've always had stretch marks. So that was something that I didn't really care much about. Um, but now I have stretch marks where my belly is and I didn't have that before. And, and I just but simply you, like, had to brought say, a human into this I brought a human. Yeah. I created a whole human. But they don't talk about that in society. Like, and I'm not all for, you know, like, I don't like an unhealthy body. I, as, as someone who works in wellness and nutrition, it's my goal is for people to be the healthiest versions of themselves. That's not always a size zero or a two. Most of the time it's not, especially if you're a woman and you've had children, you're not going to be size zero or two likely, you know, unless you like, there's other ways. Um, but most we're so fixed in society on this ideal image. Right. And then my partner and I talk about this a lot, you know, with men also men are like glorified as they get older. Right. Oh, he's so handsome for an older gentleman. Age like wine. Yeah. The Clooney effect. That's what I call it. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's true. My partner's gorgeous. Um, and he's almost 50 and, but like, but we don't say that about women, right? We don't say that about women. They're sort of cast out and, um, that's a whole other, that's a whole other podcast. Which is funny because before we started this conversation, the first thing I told you was like, wow, you're beautiful. Like, you know, and it's, (laughs) it's, it's honestly, I, I, we need to hear a little bit more of that. I mean, I would, you know, aside from my partner, from my husband, I would love for other women to be like, wow, you have such beautiful, you know, eyes. Oh my God. They're so wide and they're so big. And you know, oh my God, you're, you're women. There's a, it's a shaming thing. Women are women. And I'm sorry to say that in a generalized fashion, but it's true. Uh, it's, it's, but it's part of the culture, right? We live in, and I I look back on this because I'm, I'm 42. So I'm on that age cusp where like, reality tv social media that like i call it the uberification of like everything wasn't prevalent when i was growing up so there was no like shows that were really like centered around hating other people about poking fun and now it's just so pervasive in society so like people are growing up with this strict fixed image of like this is what you're supposed to look like and and it changes right it changes like every few years like um, and so it's unhealthy. I don't know. Let's get back to <laughs> grounding. Yeah, no, and I I totally agree yeah. with you. It's it's horrible, and I hope that um, whoever's just listening perpetuates so much self hate. Yeah, whoever's listening, just understand that hate is not the way. Love is always the answer. <laughs> I swear, it is loving yourself. Uh, loving yourself, and love will find you in every way, in any way. I always say that. Um, when your relationship became, uh, when your relationship with food became better and it was just, uh, something that you had, um, balanced out. It didn't really for a long time. I think, um, we talked about 
something that happened to me and my family. Um, can I talk about it? <laughs> my sister. Okay. Um, so halfway to college, I something happened to me, and it was deeply personal and terrifying, and I was attacked. And only a handful of people knew, and I kept it a secret from my family, um, from everybody, except I did tell my older half-sister, um, who was much older. She was 13 or 14 years older than I was. And um, I reached out to her because she'd been through a lot, and I felt like she had nothing to gain in um, you know, abusing my trust. She would have never done that. So I reached out to her um, for guidance and we sort of settled on the idea that I would have a new start. You know, I had lived this very, um, I mean, it was self-centered. I was so focused on me and not liking myself and the, the environment that I was living in that I just wanted a new start before possible grad school. So I, um, upon her guidance, I stuck a few cities in a bowl on my coffee table and I picked New York. And so I moved right away with a one-way ticket to New York without any real plan, except that I was going to go to grad school. And I didn't know anybody. <clears throat> and um, shortly after, a few months after my moving to New York, um, meeting new friends, having like sort of this new birth, right, um, I received the news that my older sister had taken her own life. And that hit me in a way that was different than it hit my other sisters, because I sort of attributed my new path in life to her and, and she died with a very serious secret of mine. Um, and that was the moment in telling my father, we share a father. Um, I was the one that told my father and the sound that my father made when I told him that his first daughter died will forever be imprinted in my spirit and my soul. And that was sort of my butterfly effect moment. That was when my whole trajectory shifted and I fell into the word depression doesn't even cut it. I did not exist. I was bleak. I was immobile. I, I had a friend who later became my husband. Um, I was like sitting on his couch. I didn't work. I was just stagnant and I did not want to exist. I was profoundly suicidal, but I didn't even have the faculties available to even realize I was suicidal. I was just um, empty. And going back to food and like my sense to always want to nurture and, and care for people. One day I was on um, food network. This is like back in the day when like there's live TV and you can like record it in TiVo. And, um, or this was before TiVo actually. And a show came on food network and it was um, Ina Garten and it said, feel good food. And something happened. I hadn't showered in like four weeks. I mean, I was just like, Bleh. and something happened. I see the words feel good food and it, brought me back to when I was a kid going to all these like kitchens with my friends and I got a piece of paper and I wrote down every single recipe that she wrote on that show and something woke up in me I got dressed I showered like fully dressed I did full makeup and I grabbed my bag and I walked to the food emporium on 42nd street and I was determined to cook that entire meal and I went back and as I was like cooking and I still remember everything I don't eat some of it now because I'm um, plant-based but I, I sat there and as I was cooking I was crying and then as I sat down to feed myself there was no tv there was no music this was like the era of blackberries so there was no smartphone and um, I was just fully crying 
And then I made that in that moment, I was like, okay, this is healing me. I'm feeding myself right now. I'm nurturing myself and taking care of myself. So the next day I went to Borders, which back in the day, um, Borders, and I bought that cookbook. And I spent the next month or so cooking every recipe, having people over, feeding them. Um, it wasn't great. But like I was doing my best and that's how that's how I began to heal. And so not, it wasn't necessarily healthy, but it was healthy because of the intent. I was feeding myself um, really positive like words and lots of comfort. And so that's when food shifted for me. Um, and then it it was a tug of war for many years. But um, but that's when it, the seed was planted that like, okay, like this is this is this is something that is deeply personal to me. This is probably my past, but I was too scared to be like, I'm going to be a chef, you know? Um, yeah. So. But it was your way of understanding that you had a function. Yeah. You had a way of functioning. I had a new coping, you know, tool and it was like really healthy yeah. for me. It was. Yeah. Like, like dancing for me, yeah. like you, I can dance anywhere. And it will bring so much joy. And the root of dancing, the reason why I love dancing is because music mm, yeah. is my way of healing. Right. I, I believe you know? creative expression is the best way to heal. Um, yeah. So food was my creative expression. Um, and then <clears throat> it morphed. and it, it, But it wasn't always healthy. You know, I, when I started being very unhappy in my situation, in my relationship, food once again became the focal point and I became, you know, hyper restrictive and an eating disorder manifested. I gained 88 pounds for my first pregnancy. That was a wild shocker for someone like me. Um, and so it was really abusive and my relationship with food. And even in education, I went back and I received a certificate through a program with Cornell in plant-based nutrition. I started my business. I was I went to culinary school, like all these things happened um, that were positive, but I would always go back in moments of crisis to my coping mechanism, which was feeding myself a lot of negative food and um, really concentrating and restricting what I was eating um, to the point where it just wasn't healthy. I mean, unhealthy. It was so unhealthy that I, I faint all the time. You know, um, I was fainting all the time. And I, I think I had, I've clocked 10 or 11 concussions now, you know, like that. Yeah. Some of it's from like a car accident and other weird freak things, but yeah, a lot of it was from fainting because I was just not taking care of myself and nobody would have known, right. You look and I'm like smiling and I'm articulate. Nobody would have known that I was really deeply struggling with self-worth and. Yeah. Your struggle with self-worth um, and probably wanting to feel heard I think a lot of us when we're going through a lot um we feel like no one's really listening and so we we kind of show the signs in other ways um I I do want to go back to your sister in that I want to um know a little bit more about how that that specific moment yes you went through your depression or, or massive depression and you dived into this place of emptiness but now that you've moved on from that phase how has her passing impacted or altered your way of looking at life 
Well, it's only recently, I mean, really recently where I finally wasn't holding on to that. So the thing with suicide is when people that you love or people that are close to you, or even not like a celebrity that you admire commit suicide, unfortunately, it becomes a very tangible option for people. It seems like it's easy to grasp. I know someone that did it and it's easy to grasp. And so unfortunately, my deep-seated self-loathing really manifested as suicidal ideology and action. So um, I actually was suicidal, and I took action a few times in between her passing and only recently um, because it was – I never properly coped. I never properly sought um, – and I did seek help, like Western medicine, I therapists and all of that but I didn't have a sense of community I didn't have someone I felt I could trust with my heart someone like you just said that would hear me or be seen but I also in looking back I don't know that I was ever available for that I don't know that I ever like um allowed someone to see me or hear me I just had this huge shell I mean it was I mean really when I say recently um, I took a year off of like life, I call it in 2021. It's my monk year um, where I was, I was sick um, with other things. I was single after a huge heartbreak and I took a year off to really stare at myself in the mirror and deeply meditate, do a lot of breath work um, and sort of say like, okay, shit's not working. You have so many tools. You've made so many leaps forward you keep going back to these feelings of like, I don't want to be here. I'm suicidal. Um, what's not working? And the denominator is me. So like, let's figure out what's working and what's not. And it's interesting that you go, you actually made that analysis yourself, but they say that the universe always makes you go back to the past yeah. Yeah. and revisit same situations in different circumstances or yeah. the same people that you, you dislike, you still confront those people oh, yeah. all in different exes, bodies. Yeah, all my exes are mm -hmm. totally different, but the same issues kept arising. They're basically different manifestations of the same sort of thing I was attracting, right? Until um, you actually fix it because the yeah. only way you you can move forward and really start fresh or begin that new beginning is because um, it's, it's because you actually did the work to eliminate what wasn't working for you. And so I love yeah. that you had the, um, the courage to do that um, well, on your own. When I realized it was in a very dire moment in, um, I can't believe I'm going to talk about this. In 2020, it was um, early No, 2020 pandemic. was just a bad year. <laughs> <laughs> it was. It was a shit year, man. Um, 2020, I... Um, it was early on in the pandemic. I was in an off and on really intoxicating and toxic relationship. I couldn't have, I couldn't have chosen someone who was more suited for me to foster self-harm. I mean, it was like everything in the book that I shouldn't have brought into my life. And I was in that relationship and there was a lot of like deception and, and, verbal abuse. It was awful. And then suddenly I was recovering from getting COVID. I got COVID very early on. Um, and then I wasn't working. So I wasn't earning any money because all of a sudden like nobody's working and I only get paid if I show up. Right. So it's like, I'm not working a nine to five. Um, all of a sudden my kids are home. All of a sudden I'm homeschooling 
learning like Mandarin and like all these things, becoming like a Zoom expert, you know, and I'm not unique. So many people were going through this. Um, really wondering like how I was going to afford the next meal, how I was going to do this. Um, and I don't have, unfortunately, a healthy relationship with my youngest child's father. And that was just so much like animosity. And I couldn't, one day I couldn't take it. Um, I couldn't take it. And I, I, I'm sure it was the anxiety. There was a lot of things that were going on, but I, um, I actually, my children weren't home. They were um, with their fathers and I, I decided that I was going to take my own life. I wrote a letter and the weird thing is like, I didn't want to die. I don't want to leave my kids. I'm like, the, I'm obsessed with my boys. They're my everything. I just didn't want to be me anymore. I was so tired of the struggle. I was so tired of feeling like this. I was so tired of being in a relationship where I just felt so worthless. You know, I felt, I felt better about myself when I was like hidden. And, um, so I, I took a bunch of pills and I was intent that that was going to be my last moment. And something happened to me and um, I knew that I only had a, a small window before something were before the pills would take over. And I took a breath and in that second I was like, wait, shit, what am I doing? This is not going to be my last breath. So I took a huge like primal roar breath, like the babies when they're first born, that breath. I took this huge breath. I texted my ex-husband and I said, look, I did something. We have about 15 minutes. Call EMS. I'm going to get help. And EMS came. I don't remember the rest. I woke up in a hospital. But I was so grateful for that breath. And in a weird way, I associate it with like, like a rebirth. I've been doing breath work for years and this was my healing breath work moment. And that was when I was like, that was the moment where I was like, okay, cut the shit. Like you've been through a lot. We get it. You're in pain. We get it. You don't like yourself. We get it. Let's change that narrative because you have two little boys who you are raising to be the men that you always needed in your life. So let's get that on track. You know, the rest, finances, relationships, that will all fucking fall into place, you know? And so that's it. So I was, so I spent a week in a hospital. I wasn't fighting it. I was like, so there for me. Um, and I came out with a different perspective, like, okay, I almost lost it. Had I not making that phone call, I would not, I would not have made it, you know? And that's like, I mean, I touched death and that's humbling. I'm starting to tear up, but I am so grateful that I was brought to that point. I'm so grateful that I felt that low about myself. Um, and everything had better meaning and was more clear after that. You know, unfortunately I went back to like that relationship, but only for a little while. Um, and then I just took a full year off and was just like, okay, like I'm, I'm, it's time to let go of some of this. And I feel better. I'm not as thin as I used to be. I don't care. I wasn't looking for a relationship. It one found me and the person's wonderful and kind. Um, my relationship with my children are, is, has always been wonderful, but it's like so good now. And most importantly, the relationship with myself, there's always going to be days like this morning I had negative self-talk 
but I'm now, now I feel like, okay, like I can recognize and say like, this is fleeting. This is short lived. Um, and throughout all of that, like it's been the protocol that I wrote, the gratitude program, the gratitude diet, you know, it's been like, you got to start with this first before you can even touch this shit, you know, before you can even think like, I need to lose seven pounds. Like, what do you need to lose up here first? Let's lose seven pounds of this, you know, let's replace that and feed it with some good food. And then we can worry about the rest. Yeah. And food, like we mentioned, it's not just the physical item, food item, like a banana or an apple. It's, it's knowledge. It's, um, spirituality, it's yeah. um, breathing, um, yeah. nature, it's taking walks, it's the things that you um, do to become a better version of yourself yeah. all around. Yeah. Um, I understand um, when that emotion of feeling so overwhelmed and not wanting to exist, unfortunately for me, it happened during my postpartum journey. Mm, yeah. Um, and it had nothing to do uh, with me not loving my daughter or my, my family or my husband. Right. I just felt so alone and it just felt like I was a burden to other people. Oh and goodness, I yeah. felt, yeah, and I felt like I was like, the world would just be better if I didn't exist, right? And, um, you know, I, I do want to say that when I had my pseudo seizure, um, which was basically my body saying, you've gotten to a point in your life where you're extremely vulnerable. This is my way of showing you how much you need to fix. Oh, your body tells you 100. I told you I, I'm sick now. And it, I'm convinced it's my body being like, you know, yeah. full stop, figure out what's going and on. And that's my psoriasis. That's the pseudo seizures. That's my anxiety. The way I have outbursts of anger, um, the way I have cry spells, I've, I've always, always had cry spells and I never understood why I was so emotional. No, they're so good for you. (laughs) It's so, don't you feel like a good cry though? They're so good for you. Yeah. Like, don't shame that. Let that. No, definitely. I, I've, I've understand, like, I understand now that I'm, I'm, I'm an empath. I'm very much of a, a emotional person. I can relate to people on an emotional level. But we all are, but we don't tap into that. Yeah. And we don't dive into understanding more about it and how to develop that skill because Mm -hmm. it can, empathy is, is, and I, I learned this from Brene Brown. Um, she has a, a Ted talk where she discuss empathy and how much empathy can do so much for this world. If we just understood, um, how to place ourselves in other people's shoes without altering or changing their perspective of the, the way they see the world. Yeah. Because being empathetic doesn't mean like I can put myself in Robbie's shoes, but, um, if I did, if I just, you know, didn't care so much about food, my God, like my world would be better. Like you're not being empathetic. You're manipulating, you're changing the, her perspective, you're changing the way she sees the world. And so that's not the point of being empathetic. The point of being empathetic is being able to say, I empathize with you. I feel what you feel. I understand your emotions, Mm -hmm. your reality and the way you perceive the world is valid. Valid. Yeah. Period. Yeah. There's no extension to that. That's sort of where gratitude for me can be interchangeable with that. So when I developed, I mean, this was like a three-year process of, I read every book on gratitude, literally every book, every like 
university level textbook on gratitude. And I really start, I started to understand like, once you remove yourself out, right? Um, it's not just about you, how interconnected we all are, how so many of us have such similar shared experiences, you know? Um, like I may not know what it's like to be a dancer, um, but I understand that creative outlet, right? Um, and just how interconnected we all are and how we all at the end of the day just want to live as long as possible. Um, and we all want to exchange love with ourselves and others. And we all just want that version of happiness. And happiness isn't the attainment of wealth and houses and cars and Gucci, whatever bullshit. Happiness is being able to die and leave a legacy of kindness, of joy, and of that sense of feeling of peace. Um, you know, and your body, like like we just said, like your body tells you, you know, you're like, pay attention to the cues. Your body tells you if your partner is not for you your body tells you if your friend group is not for you your body tells you if you're spending too much time on tiktok you know your wrist hurts you're blinking a lot you know like your body tells you and it's it's such an interesting dynamic when you start to really cultivate an understanding of gratitude and of the cues that we are born with you know I'm so grateful for having you with me today. This has been such a wonderful conversation. Thank, Thank you. you for being so open and so vulnerable about your experiences. I, you. I'm so honored to have had your trust. Um, and just, you've taught me so much within this this time frame about perseverance, about um, getting yourself up uh, no matter how many times you fall down. All right. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. <laughs> Do you want to know more about the resources we mentioned on this episode? Head on over to our show notes for more information. If you love this episode, share it with a friend and be sure to leave us a review on your favorite podcasting platform. If you know someone with a story we should feature on The Inner Puzzle, send us a DM on Instagram at The Inner Puzzle. Until next time, keep moving the pieces to your inner puzzle. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit Juvederm.com.